Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Before and After. This is my story about how I faced the sudden death of our nine-year-old son, Nathan. Firstly, I would like to acknowledge and honour the original owners and ancestors of this land, Jagera and Durbel. My name is Karen Lang. I am the author of the book Courage, a spiritual counsellor and mentor. In this podcast, I will share with you about my life before Nathan's death and after. I will share with you about my challenges, the agony of losing him, and the deep understanding and wisdom I have learned along the way. There is so much to take in and face after the death of a child, and I hope that by sharing my story, you will gain new perspectives as you navigate your way through grief. Grief is an uninvited guest that comes to our door rips open our heart, takes everything we once knew and does not leave until we find the courage to face it and learn from it. My life before Nathan died was very different to the life I lead now. Without a doubt, grief completely changes us inside and out and not always in the way we might expect. So I guess if I had to name the enormous change that grief created in me, and still does to this day, it has been to slow down and to become present to myself and my life. Busyness is a modern day disease of our mind and keeps us stuck in a crazy eight cycle, not allowing us to see, to expand, or understand our greatest potential to heal. As a working mum of two children, Nathan nine and Lauren six, I really wasn't busier than the next person, but I was busy with the constant thoughts and beliefs that I carried. Growing up in Australia, I developed a deep-rooted belief that I wasn't enough. And that belief crept into every aspect of my life. It affected my perspective about how I looked how I worked and how I interacted with others. I carried a huge pressure within me to meet the expectations of everyone I met, to be perfect and to prove myself. I share with you about this part of me as I grew up because it was the belief and these thoughts that kept my mind busy and from being present. And while I was constantly looking outside myself, I miss, right, I miss what was right in front of me and in doing so, I face the greatest lesson of all. No one is prepared for what tomorrow may bring. These words could not be more accurate of my life back in 2001. As parents, Michael and I were very strict and when it came to the children's safety, helicopter parents for sure, we truly believed we were in control and we never imagined anything could happen to them. 
On the day that Nathan was hit by a car, it was just a normal busy day and the end of another busy week. I had planned with a friend that we would meet at her home after school pickup. We were all glad it was Friday and we were looking forward to a relaxing weekend. Nathan was always keen to see his friends and because we had just picked up some new Dragon Ball Z cards that afternoon, he was excited to share them. We parked across the road from our friend's home and even though I asked the children to wait, Nathan, in his excitement, ran out onto the road. The sound of the car hitting him stopped time forever. It was a blur of activity from that moment on. Two ambulances were called by friends, neighbours ran out to help in any way they could, and I ran to Nathan's lifeless, unconscious body on the road. I kept telling him I was there and everything would be all right. Shortly after the ambulance arrived, his heart stopped. The chaos that it created was awful and I just remember rubbing his foot and the paramedics working on him and praying over and over, please don't let him die. They were able to resuscitate him, but it wasn't until several hours later up at the hospital we were given the devastating news that he had crushed his skull on the side of the road after hit, being hit by a car and was now brain dead. They told us he would be on life support until his heart stopped or we could donate his organs and turn off his life support the next day. It was an overwhelming decision but a quick one and looking back I know we felt the pressure from the organ donation team but we also knew that he loved to share everything with everyone and so we said yes to organ donation. After that operation, we lay with Nathan that night for the last time. With tears running down our faces, we hugged and kissed him until we fell asleep. It was a precious gift that we never wanted to end. The following day when we left the hospital with Lauren and without Nathan, we felt numb, disconnected and didn't know who we were anymore. Arriving home that day was overwhelming. The house felt cold and empty, which is what we felt inside too. I, rem I remember thinking, how can life change so quickly? Surely we have missed something. And once we understand what we could have done differently, we can bring him back home and our life can return to normal. Rumi describes sorrow. Sorrow prepares you for joy. It violently sweeps everything out of your house so that new joy can find space to enter. It shakes the yellow leaves from the bough of your heart so that fresh green leaves can grow in their place. It pulls up the rotten roots so that new roots hidden beneath have room to grow. Whatever sorrow shakes from your heart, far better things will take their place. No one is prepared for the grief that violently sweeps us empty after the death of a child. Nor do we believe on any level that far better things will take their place. But that is only because we haven't begun the journey to discover our limitless potential to grow and heal.
shell-shocked for days, we just wandered around. Our friends and our family fed us, helped us arrange the funeral and loved us through it all. Even at the funeral I was numb. I didn't wail or scream or yell the deep agony and pain I felt within. I had no idea how to do that. Who teaches us to express our grief honestly and in its raw guttural form? Martin Pritchell, a shaman, says grief expressed out loud for someone we have lost is in itself the greatest praise we could ever give them. Grief is praise because it is the natural way love honours what it misses. But after the funeral was over, the fog began to lift and the unbearable sinking realisation that this was permanent. In the beginning, life feels impossible. Even the smallest chores or activities felt overwhelming and pointless. I remember thinking, what is the point of anything? And better still, if the world ended or I died, then it wouldn't matter. We would watch others get on with their life, business as usual. We felt like nothing was real and that we were the only ones standing still in this turning world. I never imagined I could accept the death of my child, but no one around us could accept it either. They constantly said to us, this should never have happened. You should never have to bury a child before you. And I would think, but we just did. And so began the overwhelming voices and, and um, advice. And in order to cope, the mind clings to the familiar and the road it knows. And Michael and I went back to work and Lauren went back to school. We stayed here for many years. Sylvia Plath reminds me of the fear of moving on. And the danger is that in this move toward new horizons and far directions, I may lose what I have now and not find anything except loneliness. I too believe that if we did not continue to do all the things that we did before Nathan died, keep the same house, his room the same, live like he was still with us, then our memories would fade, his voice would drift away and I would lose him forever. Often this is also the time that parents create a foundation or charity to honour their child's name in some way. When our child's life has been tragically cut short with no possible future, we are overwhelmed by this truth. And so I think that's why we create these uh, memorials or charities for them so that there is a future for them and that they will be remembered. I think in order to cope in those early years, we convince ourselves of any story that helps us survive. However, no matter what we did that was familiar, no matter how hard we tried to recreate the life we had before Nathan's death, the elephant in the room would never let us move past this truth. And that was that nothing would be the same again, including us. Looking back, I now realize that I wasn't afraid of forgetting Nathan or that anyone else would. What I was most afraid of was losing myself. Because if I did, I would have to admit I knew nothing. 
about who I was up until this point and that would mean I had to start again. Wendell Berry says it well, it may be when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And when we no longer know which way to go, we have begun our real journey. No matter how many grieving parents I meet, they all say in their early years of grief, like I did, that they feel alone, misunderstood, isolated, and at times unsupported. But now I understand that the isolation and the separation I felt during those early years was simply the disconnection and separation I had with myself and my grief. I realized the reason my family, friends and community didn't know what to do to heal me or know what I needed was because I didn't know what I needed. After reading books and listening to other people's experiences, I kept coming back to the same understanding that I was the answer to healing my grief. And when I accepted this and stopped working so much, slowed down enough to move away from the noise and advice, I began to listen and discovered my grief was as individual and unique as I was. And so I embarked on this long journey to face this multi-dimensional and overwhelming terrain. Wendell Berry again says, nobody can discover the world for somebody else. Only when we discover it for ourselves does it become common ground and a common bond and we cease to be alone. There is a beautiful story that Tara Brach shares out of Africa. When a woman knew deeply it was time to have a child, she goes outside and patiently listens for the song of her future child to come to her. Over time, she learns this song intimately and teaches this song to her husband before the child is conceived. When the child is born, they teach this song to the child and the others in the village so that now everyone knows this song and they sing it to the child when they are hurt or they need to be reminded they are loved and connected. We must trust that we all have this heart song within us, but it will require us to go outside and to listen deeply and learn it over time. So as I started to learn this heart song within me and the wisdom, I still needed support. I had a wonderful mentor during the grief that I completely um, changed the way I understood life. She had not lost a child, but she encouraged me to start a practice of letting go of what I knew. She challenged me and she continually reminded me I had everything within me to lead me through, through the terrain of grief. And when I retreated from my practice of stillness, being in nature, yoga, or meditation, or believed I couldn't do it anymore, she would remind me again I could. She taught me to validate and take responsibility for my feelings, no matter what they were. Anger, fear, pain, guilt. She encouraged me to acknowledge them all and feel them deeply. In practicing this, 
I learned my heart was strong and wise and every time I honoured my feelings and my practice, I began to see life more clearly. I learned over time that grief is sacred and although I never wanted grief or death in my life, when I took responsibility to treat grief as a sacred part of who I was now, I treated my mind, body and spirit in the same way. I stopped wishing life was different and I began to honour my grief and who I was in it and this made all the difference. Carl Jung says, joy at the smallest things come to you only when you have accepted death. It takes many, many years for us to accept the death of our child. But as I let go of all the things I believed, I began to make space for joy and happiness again, like Rumi told us. John O'Donoghue says, always have the courage to change, welcoming those voices that call you beyond yourself. I learned this deeply when I began to mentor others. I began to learn that I could only guide clients or friends or family to a stage of healing that was within me. For example, if I've not healed unforgiveness or anger or guilt in me, I cannot guide others out of that place either. We cannot give to another what we have not yet done for ourselves. And this is often why we feel stuck with clients or with people in our life. If we want others to change around us, we must learn to change it within ourselves first. When we try to fix people or try to take their pain or sadness away or feel responsible for them, then no one wins and no one heals. This is what grief asks of us. This is what death calls to us. Out of the life we once knew, from everything we have been taught and from the limiting beliefs and stories that keep us trapped. So how do we continue to heal these transformations that grief continues to ask of us? I love the way Mary Oliver speaks of grief and sorrow as a small child. Love sorrow. She is yours now and you must take care of what has been given. Brush her hair, help her into her little coat, hold her hand, especially when crossing a street. Have patience in abundance and do not ever lie or ever leave her even for a moment. She is strange, mute and difficult and sometimes unmanageable. But remember, she is a child and amazing things can happen. And as you may see, as the two of you go walking together in the morning light, how little by little she relaxes, she looks about her and she begins to grow. Compassion is the number one gift I gave myself and not just through grief but throughout life. It is the foundation and the pathway that leads me through all healing. Compassion is gentle and kind and it does not judge no matter where we are at our grief. Compassion listens and is always patient and not to say that we are always those things but that's why I always went back to the foundations of compassion. 
I know that in the beginning of our grief, it seems easier to busy ourselves with the distractions of life or making sure that our child is remembered or making sure that no one else suffers the way we are. However, sorrow is yours now and yours only. And we must only take responsibility for ours to study her and learn what she needs. When I ignored my grief in the early years, it just got harder for me to move later on. And even if our minds convince us we are fine, our bodies will never lie. And our unresolved grief may present as a physical illness or mental health issue over time. Start by creating small spaces of silence each day to listen and become aware of what your body and mind are doing. We cannot become intimate with others or ourselves if we don't listen. I heard someone say that sitting in nature in stillness is like a green smoothie for our soul and our energy. What a beautiful thought. And when I practice that often, I know that it calms me down and gives me a clearer vision. Physically, it alkalines our body. And this begins healing for us. When, when we are in a state of stress, we create acid and flight or fight, which is a state that we cannot heal in. Allow yourself to open up through yoga, dance, movement and art, whatever feels natural for you. Forgive yourself, forgive others a hundred times over. When we get this balance right, our outward life will reflect it back to us and when we don't, it's just a reminder to go back to our foundations of compassion and begin again. Find mentors and people that will encourage you, expand you and remind you of all your strength and beautiful courage. Learn to be curious and hungry to understand yourself and your grief. Question everything. When we think we know, we get trapped. Learn to let go and start again. If you've seen the Buddhist monks create a mandala, you'll know the intricacy of that and how beautiful they are. However, at the end of that, they always finish and instead of keeping it, sweep up the sand of the mandala and let it go. It's a beautiful, powerful lesson in the impermanence of life. Wendell Berry says, telling a story, whether of grief or our life, is like reaching into a granary full of wheat and drawing out only a handful. There is always more to tell than can be told. Learn to love yourself deeply. Accept your brokenness, your grief, your fragility and your fleeting breath. Learn to know we don't know and see this beautiful divine light in un and unique beauty. Live in this moment fully because no one is guaranteed tomorrow. If I had to end with anything, it would be to stay in the practice of stillness so that you can learn to listen. I love Wendell Berry's words. When the world grows in me in despair and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life or what my children's lives may be, 
I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives without forethought of grief. In the stillness I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. For more information about my book or my work, please go to my website www.karenlangauthor.com Thank you. Thank you.